Good morning. Good to see you all today. Good morning to the venue as well. My name's Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free Church. Great to be with you today on this uh, Cinco de Mayo celebration tonight, and um, Compassion International is noted already. I'd like to spend just a, a moment of time and speak to that. That group that is going to Colombia here in a couple weeks, uh, the next team that is going to serve there, has done such a phenomenal job of setting things up out there. And uh, as was just noted, we have 350, 360 kids from this church that have all been sponsored there in Colombia, mostly around the Magangue region. And uh, we are in process now of building this church plant, as you just heard, in Barranca de Yuca, which is about 10 miles uh, outside of the city of Magangue, but in that same region. And I would just ask that, that you continue to, pr to pray for that church plant, that church building. If you go out there to uh, any of the kiosks, you'll find this little flyer that gives an update on what we're doing from Carney to the World and this church plant. You can pick that up, and there's a number of great pictures of construction uh, that is happening there, as well as uh, prayers from Pastor Benjamin Mendez who is the pastor we are partnering with on site as we build this church plant. So please continue to keep uh, those dear people in your prayers here in these coming weeks. It's a community that we are building a church plant in of uh, 13,000 people, and this will be the first church. Isn't that great? The first church of its kind in a community of 13,000 people. And you're a part of that as you've given to from here to there and as you are sponsoring a child or just praying for this. This is a multi-level way that we are going from Carney to the world. Also out there, you can pick up these little green bracelets. They say, Dios bendiga Colombia. I speak Spanish. Not very well. That means God bless Colombia. And on the inside of the green bracelets is every person from our church who's going on this next trip. So you can pray for them by name as well. There's also a bunch of yummy candies out there. I see a few kids in the audience. Let's see if I can get them. Oh, not very good. Let's see. Any well. Okay, I'm sorry to do this over UK, but Johnny wants some. Okay, all right. Forgive me. All right, so you can pick up some candies out there as well. I thought I would read one of our recent letters from uh, one of our Compassion International children in Colombia. We sponsor a couple kids in Sri Lanka and one in Colombia, and it's a great gift to our family, and we learn so much from these kids. Uh, this little boy, uh, Juan Manuel, just transitioned out of the program, unfortunately, so we need to pick up a new one today, but it says, uh, Adrian Boykin, dear Adrian Boykin, may God bless you. I am the child's tutor, and I write to you because he still cannot read or write. The boy, Juan Manuel, is in good health. He lived here, he lived here in Magangue with his stepfather because his mother was imprisoned in Medellin. His mother was released from jail, and she decided to look for the child since the end of October. It has been difficult to communicate with her mother to achieve a transfer to her. Because of that, we did achieve a transfer. Uh, because of that, we chose the child to be withdrawn from the program. <laughs> My kids cried. <laughs> the stepfather of the child thanks you for all your collaboration and for the love you have had with the child. We want to tell you a little bit about this child's passage through the project. He accepted Jesus as his savior. He attended spiritual retreats. He participated in different activities that helped him to strengthen his psychosocial and cognitive development. 
he also received pediatric attention. Thank you very much for your commitment and your love. Blessings, Juan Manuel. Pretty sweet. It's a great way to develop a relationship well, with someone from another country and to invest in them as we seek to release children from the scourge of poverty in the name of Jesus. I wonder if you'd pray with me as uh, that team prepares to go here in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for Pastor Benjamin and for our sponsored kids. Would you join me? Father, thank you for our partnership with uh, Magange Colombia and uh, the great work that you've done in our church over the last year and a half as we have sought once again to go from Kearney to the world. We are grateful, God, for these beautiful children that we've had the privilege of sponsoring and the ways they have enriched our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, through the small donations that we give and through the letters that we write, we really get to touch, touch a child and his or her family, both for time and in many cases for eternity. And for that, we give you thanks. We ask that all of these kids would grow into a relationship with Jesus, would make a commitment to you, and would grow with you. We also ask that each of these kids would be released from the scourge of physical poverty. And we pray that they would get good medical attention and academic help through the Compassion Center, which will also be a church plant, which we get to be a part of. Praise you, God, for the opportunity we have now to build a church where one does not exist, and we ask your blessings on the construction that is happening there, as well as Pastor Mendez, God, that you would go before him as he shepherds these dear people, and that you would go before everyone on our Compassion team, this Columbia team that will be traveling there in the next couple weeks. Would you grant them safety, and would you help them to serve with Christ-like love, and as well to be served, that they would be change agents, but they would be changed by the work that they see you already doing on the ground in these beautiful communities. We do give you thanks, Lord, that you call us to something bigger and greater than ourselves, and we realize that we have been blessed with so much in order to be a blessing to others. So we say, bring it on, God. May it be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are talking here in this message series on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we're asking the question, what does it mean? The sermon title is, When Empty Means Full, for these four weeks. And I found that when Christians in general are asked, what does the resurrection mean, they generally answer, it means that I will have life after death. And that's great. That's certainly part of it. But there's a period at that point, and the implication is you just kind of grin and bear it till then, right? Life after death, but grin and bear it and just hold on till then. But I believe that the resurrection would enrich our lives today and for eternity. And so when the grave is empty, we are talking about the implications of that. These last two Sundays, well, we know that when the tomb was empty, when the grave is empty, that means our trust in God is full. Just a little bit of review here this morning. If the tomb remains empty and Jesus' bones have never been found, then he is just who he said he was, and who he said he was is Lord and God. If he's Lord and God, if he conquered the grave, then he is worthy of all of our worship, worthy of all of our obedience. Second, we noted last week that when the grave is empty, 
then our hope in God is full. Our hope is full because the tomb remains empty today. And two reasons that I gave last week that we have hope is that when Christ comes back in glory and his first resurrection was a harbinger of his future resurrection, that will be the death of death, the end of our death. It'll be no more. All death will be eliminated. And it will be the death of evil. The death of evil. Like, come on, praise God. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We have great, great reason for hope. Today we want to talk about why we can be full with hope for transformation. That God would invite us to be transformed, both here and now, and after we die. The resurrection says that change is a coming to you. So I picked up my high school graduation yearbook this week. Got any graduating seniors in this room, high school or college? Okay, seeing none. Do we have any high school graduates in this room? Has anyone graduated from high school? Okay, we have a few. All right. Okay, perhaps over in the venue they have some high school graduates. Did you have a high school yearbook? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have a school yearbook? Is that a girl? All right. I wonder if in your school yearbook, your high school yearbook, you did what I did in my high school yearbook was uh, sign each other's yearbook. Do you, do you all do that? Okay, so if you go back and you look at some of the signatures in your yearbook and you want to reflect on the glory days, you'll probably see things like, Adrian, please don't change. Johnny, please stay the same. Jenny, stay cool. Don't change. And, and I get it. I mean, like, there's a good sentiment behind that. The sentiment behind that is this is a special moment, and you're a special person, and we want to capture this moment. And I want to remember the beautiful, special person though, that you are. But really, those are really, really silly statements. Please, I, like, do we really want a bunch of 18-year-old boys and girls permeating this whole earth? No, we want grown-ups. We, we want to change. This idea that we shouldn't change or even that we could not change is really false scripturally. Scripturally speaking, let me say this again, this idea that you shouldn't change or that you cannot change is false and downright silly. Here's our mission statement at Carney E. Free. Would you read out loud well with me from the screen, both here and in the venue? Let's read this out loud together. We are building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. This is what we're after. We're after transformation for us and for you, for the entire congregation, a transformational community because your transformation by itself, it matters greatly for you and for your family, but people readily dismiss the transformation of one person. What people cannot readily dismiss is the transformation of an entire congregation, and that ends up changing an entire community. Ends up changing a city when an entire congregation has been transformed to the likeness of Christ. And what I want to tell you is that transformation is the very goal of the New Testament. Heaven is not the goal. Heaven's the destination, but heaven is not the goal. The goal is 
your transformation and my transformation. Let me give you just a little bit of a sampling of this from a number of different New Testament passages. God wants to transform us so we would be more like Christ in his goodness and in his holiness. Romans 12 comes to mind. I urge you then, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to him, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you would test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He's saying, how are we transformed? First, by offering our bodies to him, that everything we do in these bodies really, really matters. We offer our bodies to him. Everything matters that I do with my hands, with my eyes, with my lips, with my ears, my sexuality, with my feet. My, everything matters. So I offer it up to him each and every day. And then, in addition to that, moreover, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. What we think on makes a great difference. What we think on turns to what we do. What we do over time becomes our habits. Our habits over time turns into our character. So what do you think on? This transforms us. This is part of the how. Here's another. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Uh, Paul says this. We all who with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory and we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory from one glory to another glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And it happens how? As we contemplate him. As we enjoy Jesus. As we dwell in his presence. As we do more than just going to church on Sunday, as we enjoy him on Monday. As we spend time with him, as we pray, as we study the scriptures, as we go into solitude in order to enjoy the living God, we are transformed more and more into his likeness. Here's another one. Paul says this in Galatians 4. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you, where he is not yet formed in you, I long for Christ to be formed in you as in the pains of childbirth. Now some ladies are like, man... You need to take a chill pill, Paul. You got no idea. You got no idea the pains of childbirth. Isn't that like a man to say that? But you, you got to understand the point behind the illustration. The point is, I am willing to suffer. I, I, I'm willing to give it up so that you would be transformed. That Christ would be increasingly formed in you and in me. I, I want to be that kind of pastor. I, I hope you want to be that kind of mother or father or grandmother or grandfather or friend or sister or brother, son or daughter. I'm willing to go through pain that Christ would be formed in me, that Christ would be formed in those people around me, that I would humbly pursue him. The goal is transformation. And we're not in this alone. One more passage, Romans 8, 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you, he who gave life to Christ's physical body will also give life to our mortal bodies. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So what Paul is saying is, 
we can know this with confidence, as sure as you are sitting on a seat right now, either in the auditorium or in the venue the, this morning, so also the Holy Spirit is living in you. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that same power is dwelling in you, and it's his power which is able to change us. So we fight for it, but we never fight on our own. It's Christ's power through his spirit that is fighting for our spiritual strength, our vitality, our character growth, our growth in goodness, in holiness, our growth in Christian purity, all of that to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. It's not on our own. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us and with us. You see, Jesus' resurrection power is meant to transform us starting today. Jesus' resurrection power is meant and it is in us for the purpose of transforming us starting not just when we die, but today. I, I have a dear, dear friend who... Uh, I've known for, for decades now, and uh, he shared with me a story many years ago about his honeymoon, and they lived uh, close to a coastal community, and so they went on a honeymoon at a beachside vacation, and they were so excited for their honeymoon, their new young marriage, and on day three of their honeymoon, having a wonderful time walking along the beach with his new bride, his bride stopped. And she turned to him and she said, why is it that when girls walk by you in bikinis, you turn and take a second look? Why do you do that? And he was arrested. <laughs> and he didn't know how to speak. And then he gathered himself and he said, oh, I guess I didn't realize I was doing that very much. Yeah, you do it all the time. He said, I, I guess I just kind of picked that up on the construction site where I work. Me and the guys do that sometimes, and I'm sorry. Said, but, but you're a Christian, she says. You're a Christian. Why are you doing that? And he was a Christian, and he said, yeah, I, I am, and I, I, I guess I haven't been formed by Christ yet there. So what do you do when you see that in you? Because that can happen in any area of life, can it? So many different areas of life that can happen. But the question is, what do you do when you see that in you? Here's what my friend did. He apologized. He apologized to her and he repented to God. Because sins are never just against other people, they're always against a holy God also. So he apologized to her and he repented to God. Then number two, he made a plan. Because change does not happen without a plan. Isn't that right? Change does not happen without a plan. So he made a plan for change. He brought other people around him. He made a plan for what he was going to do with his eyes in those moments. Then he asked the Holy Spirit for help in this area every day for years. Every day for years. And then he fought. He fought with the might that God gave him every day for years. I still know this man today. Can I tell you that they've been married for decades and he doesn't take a second look 
at all. I mean, he's been transformed in that area. We should expect change. Truly, we should expect to be changed because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us and the Holy Spirit can change us. Now, some of you are looking at me and I know you're saying to yourself, uh, that just hasn't been my experience yet, Adrian. I want change. I want it really, really bad, but I'm frustrated and it's not happening. And we want change to be massive and we want change to be overnight, but the truth is typically change happens incrementally, slowly but surely, as we fight with the Holy Spirit's help bit by bit over time. And we give ourselves to him little bit by little bit, and change can begin to happen over the course of the next 90 days for you. Truly, Christ can start to transform you over the next 90 days. But to be changed completely will take our entire lives. It's our entire lives of giving ourselves to him, saying, would you continue to change me today? And for one area, it might be a few years, and another area, it might be a few more years, and it'll be that way on into eternity, but the change that we would see would be kind of like a sine curve that is moving upward over time, that as we were leaning into the Holy Spirit, asking for God's help, apologizing for the ways that we have failed, and fighting with all of our might, that's what it means, Philippians 2, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is already working in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. And he can indeed, he will indeed make it happen. We've got to understand that it will not happen by accident. It requires putting off apathy and making a plan and surrender to the Holy Spirit who is in us each and every day. Do you believe you can change? We can change that wasn't a great response. Do you believe you can change? Okay, we can change. Thank you, thank you. Jesus' resurrection power will transform you, and it starts today. And then Jesus' resurrection power will complete your transformation someday. We can be sure of that. We begin our transformation here and now. That continues as we rely on the Holy Spirit, but Jesus will complete his transformation of us someday. And here is what it will look like. Again, we've been in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read through 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 55 here this morning. If you want to open up there with me in your Bible, you'll find it after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the book of Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. If you get to 2 Corinthians, you went just a little bit too far, go back to the left. Um, you can also find it, of course, in your handy table of contents. Thank you, God, for that good gift. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 55, it's also up on the screen, but I love reading in my paper Bible. So will it be, he's talking about Jesus' resurrection, and after talking about Jesus' resurrection, he says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead, with our resurrection. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living, a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The last Adam is Jesus. He becomes this life-giving spirit for us with a spiritual body. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, that is Adam. And after the natural came the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven, Jesus, down from heaven to earth. 
as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, us. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we also bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus. As he is, so also we will be. I declare to you, verse 50, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Hmm. Some of us are just saying in our hearts, come, Lord Jesus, come. I I want that, Lord. And, And one day we will have that. For sure. We don't know when that will be. Just an aside, we don't know when. And you're probably wise not to listen to anyone who says they know when. They've consistently been wrong. I don't care to speculate as to when, in case you come and ask me. I just don't care. It's going to happen when God determines it's going to happen. And he has given me so much to do right now. He's given you so much to do right now. And I'm going to focus on that. But it is going to happen someday. Physical resurrection of Christ is the first fruit of what will happen to us at some later time. I found over the years as a pastor that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what happens to the Christian after they die. So I want to just speak to, to that for just a moment, from this passage and from one other. What happens to the Christian after we die? Because it's actually quite straightforward from the New Testament. There's two things though that happen. And the first one is this. We are given spiritual life after death. If you die in Jesus Christ, that you have surrendered your life to Christ, that you have acknowledged that he is reigning over your world, that you have repented in him, to him and you believe that God sent his son for you and you trust in him as Lord and as Savior, that he is going to give you spiritual life at the moment that you die. If you turn forward about six or seven pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll see this explicitly. I regularly read this passage at graveside services. It's not the only one that speaks to it, but this is a very, very good one. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 8, it says, We are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So to some degree, we're with the Lord today because, well, we have the Holy Spirit. But to another degree, we're away from the Lord because we're in the body and our departed loved ones are fully with the Lord today. Okay, but we who are at home in the body are to some degree away from the Lord. For, he goes on, we live by faith, not by sight. Whereas they live by, they live by sight. They get to see fully, we get to see in part today. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and therefore at home with the Lord. Away from the body and at home with the Lord. What the Bible describes in the New Testament is not soul sleep after death. 
It's not purgatory. It's not that we become some vaporous droplet in the clouds or some spirit hovering over the earth. It's not that we become an angel. It's not that we become reincarnated to another form. It's none of those things. It's not even that we get new legs or new lungs when we die. I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but I want to speak truth to what the scriptures say. That's not what the scriptures say. We don't get new bodies at the moment that we die. Rather, those who have died in Christ are absent from the body and they are present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And our souls immediately go into the presence of God in which we enjoy all the benefits of heaven. We enjoy all the benefits of living in the presence of God, of worship, of goodness, of purity, of an end of all sin and mourning and crying and pain and beauty forevermore in the presence of God and the spirits of others, the souls of others who have likewise departed in Christ well, will be there as well. But part of the mystery of resurrection is this. Eternity is somehow, I don't completely understand this, but somehow in eternity, it's going to get even better. When we are resurrected, it's going to get even better. Because first we get spiritual life after death, and then we get life after life after death. You hear me? You get physical life after death. Physical, embodied, resurrected life after death comes later. So you go back again to 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul is speaking about that here in verse 50. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That's what I just talked about. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash... In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So Christ is going to return someday in glory, and all of those who are living, it could be us, it may not be us, but all of those who are living will be changed immediately from our physical body to this beautiful, morphed, spiritual, physical body that Jesus will refashion, and at the same time, Jesus will also resurrect all those who have died in Christ, who are in graves or who are in cremation urns or out at uh, the sites of wars, and they never got to return home for, for whatever reason, from World War II or Vietnam or wherever else, and in that moment when Jesus comes back and the trumpet is called, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and we will be changed from perishable to imperishable bodies from these corruptible bodies is your body corruptible mm -mm, my body's corruptible to incorruptible bodies our bodies which were sown in weakness will be raised with resurrection power our bodies which were sown in dishonor to some degree our bodies are not all that honorable at least i've noticed they're not they'll be raised in honor. They'll be raised in glory forevermore. 
How, you ask? How is he going to do that? How is he going to change ashes to resurrected bodies or, or change what remains in the grave? The same way he created the earth, the same way he created the universe, the same way he spoke and the universe leapt into existence, so also this is a God who can do miracles, and on this last day he will do the miracle of refashioning each and every one of us into the likeness of his resurrection as well. He created the first time, he can restore later on. You've got to remember, in Greek thought, as we talked about last week, the body in all physical matter is fundamentally evil. It's to be wasted. And so the Greeks that Paul is writing to here had to be persuaded that there is a resurrection because they were fond of saying, eat, drink, and be merry because then you die. Live it up now because the body doesn't matter. In fact, it's evil, and then it'll be no more. Hebrew thought that Paul is writing out of was very different than that. Hebrew thought had a great view of the body. This is an area where we are much more indebted to the east than we are to the West. Eastern thought is the body is good. And Hebrew thought was that the body was good. But even so, Hebrews didn't really think, the Jews really didn't think about life after death, that someone would die and then their spirit would immediately go into the presence of the Lord. You don't really find a lot of that in Old Testament theology. What they thought was at the last day when Messiah finally comes, then he would resurrect all believers with him and all would get a a physical resurrection with him. All the covenant people together with him will, would be resurrected. If you're looking for, for example of this, look at John chapter 11 later in this week when um, Lazarus, the good friend of Jesus, dies and Martha is mourning and Martha comes to Jesus and says, if, if you only would have been here, then he wouldn't have died. You could have saved him. And Jesus says to Martha, uh, do, do not be afraid, he will be raised. And Martha goes immediately to saying, oh, I know Jesus. I know that in the end he will be raised from the dead. She was subscribing to a traditional Jewish view of the resurrection. I know that, Jesus. I know that. But now he's dead, and so that doesn't give me a whole lot of comfort right now. He won't be raised again until the end. But Christian thought is different. Jesus, well, when he came, he taught that because I live, so also you may live. At the moment you die, absent from the body, present with the Lord, you immediately go into the presence of the Lord to be with him. I've heard other people say, well, why this resurrection? Why, I mean, isn't it enough just to be present with the Lord spiritually, have our souls to be present with the Lord? Why do we need new resurrected bodies? Why is that part of theology? I think there's a couple reasons. One, as I noted last week, again, God doesn't make bad stuff, does he? He doesn't want to throw anything in the trash can. God makes good stuff. And I just want to say this again. God doesn't make any accidents. Let that sink in. God makes no accidents. Everything that he has made on this earth is good. Every person in this room is beautiful, made in his image and likeness, wonderfully woven together by him. He makes no accidents. And he refashions what goes awry. He wants to transform what goes awry. And so when he comes back and he gives us these resurrected bodies, 
he's going to remodel and redeem what is gone awry in us. And it's going to be so amazing that Chip and Joanna Gaines are going to be like, hmm, how do you do that? Like this is going to be the remodel of all remodels, your resurrection body. He makes good stuff. And he doesn't toss it out. He refashions it. He remodels it. He, he strengthens it. He renews it. And moreover, there are things that we are able to do in our bodies that angels or you know, a spirit, a hypothetical spirit could not do. We're able to do some things in our bodies that angels miss out on. And in that way, God wants to give us some of the great things that we have now, even in eternity. Listen to this quote from philosopher Peter Kreeft, who writes from uh, Boston College. He's written about 100 books, great, great philosopher. And he's writing on uh, the resurrection and heaven. And he says this, We are better than angels at many things. And those things would be missing from us and those perfections missing from the universe if our souls were simply disembodied. Angels are much better than we are at intelligence, will, and power, but they cannot smell flowers or weep over a Chopin nocturne. You see, God's given us something beautiful now, which he's going to redeem someday. And I, for one, believe in heaven when he brings about the resurrection we're going to have the most fragrant, beautiful flowers to smell, the most beautiful music to listen to. We're going to experience the happiest of tears. There will still be tears, only the happy kind, forevermore. Now, fortunately, let me just close with this. We don't have to wait in the sweet by and by for transformation to start right now. So you think about that high school, middle school yearbook, don't change. No, do change. Do change. <laughs> we get to be a part of change. The kingdom comes down, and the kingdom of God is already here when Jesus Christ rose from the grave and defeated Satan the first time. The kingdom will be fulfilled when he returns in glory. He came the first time in humility, he'll come the second time in glory. But we do indeed get a little taste of heaven today. Whenever we see transformation, whenever we see someone moving from lust to purity, whenever we see the kingdom of God advancing in such a way that you look around and you say, that's what Jesus would want done in this world. Whenever you see rage and anger turn into peace and patience, that's the kingdom. Whenever you see greed turning into generosity. Whenever we see selfishness turning into service or pride turning into humility. We get to be a part of kingdom transformation even today. And one day, he's going to finish the work that we start. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that Jesus came and he died and he rose from the grave. And because he rose, we are assured of life everlasting in heaven, but also because he came and he conquered our sin 
we get to experience transformation here and now. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you don't want us to stay the same. Thank you that we don't need to listen to these sayings of the world, don't change, stay the same, or you cannot change. They are ridiculous. We can change, and we must through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, Father, as we prepare now to take communion both here and in the venue, we ask, God, that you would work in us. You would whisper to us even now what it is that needs some change in us. And that as we come to the communion table, you would forgive us and you would set our hearts to be focused on you in a fresh and powerful way. That we would wait for you to do what you want to do in us, that we would be conformed more and more to the goodness of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray together. Amen.